Hi, I'm Josh. I'm Ken. And I'm TJ. And this is Serious Film People, our series on the Best Picture nominated films from 2007, 2007 Movies 2008 Ceremony. And this is the second episode in our series where we're discussing Juno, directed by Jason Reitman, written by Diablo Cody. Uh, And I'm pretty excited because I remember, you know, we were, the three of us were in high school and like starting to hang out when this came out. So like, and this was a big deal when it came out. And uh, of all the people in my life, there was one person I remember really not liking this movie back then. (laughs) And that was, that was TJ Keeley. Yep. So I'm curious to see how... uh, how TJ feels about it now, you know, 15 years later. Uh, Real quick, when was the last time you guys watched this film before this past weekend? So I I happened to watch it like a month ago because I watched Thank You for Smoking for a different podcast, which was Jason Reitman's movie before this. Uh, this was this was his second directorial feature, the first one with Thank You for Smoking. Um, before a month ago, it had probably been since 2008. Right, okay. I, I think. I don't think I'd seen it since then. Uh, how about yourself? For me, the same. I, I hadn't seen it since 2008. So, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm, it was a fresh, fresh rewatch. Likewise, uh, I'd seen bits and pieces of it here, you know, here and there. Um, I actually showed a scene of it in film class one time. It was in the textbook, um, as a way of demonstrating like character action or character motivation in nonverbal ways. And it was the scene where she's in the clinic and then there's all the, all the sound design with the nails, um, yeah. So that was the, yeah. kind of my most recent experience with it, but I had not seen it all the way through since the time it came out. I, I remember this being talked about for its origins, which was uh, it was a spec script written by Diablo Cody. And um, I was just reading on Wikipedia before I turned the mics on that uh, she had written a book, I think, based on her blog. So she was a former stripper and she wrote a, a blog and a, and a nonfiction book um, about that, basically. And uh, movie producer, it was uh, Mason Novick. Mason Novick got his hands uh, on her. No, he actually helped land her the book deal in the first place. And because um, he discovered her blog and he was he told her she should adapt her book into a script. And then she wrote Juno as like a sample to show to studios before she adapted her book into a script. So I knew it was a spec script from Diablo Cody, who was a stripper in a previous life. But uh, I didn't know those other details that she basically just kind of like wrote this to show people that she could write hoping to eventually get her book made into a movie and then it ended up being this um and spoiler alert she won the oscar for best original screenplay that's why i remember like the story of this movie um was the diablo cody of it all does that sound about right to you ken yeah that came out i i I distinctly remember that being kind of the the sub conversation subtext yeah yeah yeah, that was what everyone was addressing uh it was referenced multiple times during the oscar ceremony that night um, yeah, Diablo Cody definitely was the overriding, um, I guess, topic that everyone wanted to discuss about the film, aside from the subject matter, which obviously, uh, we'll get into shortly, but that varied, that, that ran the gamut as far as, uh, what people wanted to focus on from the film and their, their views or opinions on the final product. Um, the other thing I, I remember being shocked at the time was, John Malkovich's name pops up in the credits yeah. as a producer. Yeah, I remember yeah. at that time being really confused by the whole John Malkovich connection. Um, I, I last week, out of curiosity, went to to investigate the background on that. So it just so happens his production company was the first one to take a bite at the spec script, apparently. 
Because other companies were uh, a little scared off by the subject matter. Correct. I think there should be a DVD special feature of John Malkovich just reading excerpts of the screenplay out loud. I think that would be amazing. (laughs) They should have cast John Malkovich in the Rain Wilson role. Honestly, that would have been a massive, massive improvement. Um, speaking of Rain Wilson, the other, the other talk, well, before we do that, uh, can you mention the subject matter and how that was like referenced the night of the Oscars? I think you alluded, I can't remember if it was on mic or off mic, uh, last week, John Stewart, who hosted these Oscars, right. was talking about like how dire the movies were, you know, there, in, 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 you know, there will be blood, no controlled men. And then he ended his joke with thank God for teen pregnancy. Correct. To light, to lighten up the evening of movies. Yeah, you, um, you look at the, you go through and look at the list of movies that are nominated or in, in various capacities, various, uh, categories that year. And I mean, you're talking from, I'm not there, American Gangster, Gone Baby Gone, Into the Atonement. Wild, Atonement, all the, well, you all, not just the best picture, but the Savages, Persepolis, like, there's the Counterfeiters, there's a whole lot of films away from her that Diving Bell and the Butterfly, they're not exactly, the most optimistic or feel-good movies, right? Um, so yeah, Judo was the only real, true, upbeat option. But I, so I just evoked Rain Wilson, and um, the other thing that this movie had, like as the discussion point, other than like Diablo Cody, is um, uh, the dialogue, and like it was very, uh, how would you describe it? Um, hip. I guess it, very like unique lingo and and dialect, and I and I bring up Rain Wilson because like every word out of his mouth is like a quippy, unique kind of like um uh you know I, again I don't really know how to say it. I think this is part that TJ didn't like at the time. Um, any any comment, TJ? I, I stand by that part of my critique of the movie. Um, I think it aged like. The, the dialogue in particular at the time I, I think it was think like it really aged really bad yes well, I agree I think it was yeah. kind of rotten on arrival but especially now like it's it, it, it's aged like you know if you left your eggs out of the fridge or something it's really really yes. disgusting and um it's it's so obvious like how intentionally quirky and cute it is um, but the yeah, but the worst it, part it, about it feels that, very written. It feels very written, and and we'll get into that more later because I've got some specifics. But the the worst, the more egregious thing about that to me is that maybe I could ex- accept that coming just from Juno, um, but when you have one voice coming out of a dozen different mouths, um, not only is it then hard to become emotionally invested in this kind of cartoonish heightened reality, but I don't think that's very good writing. Um, so that's a that's a good point. Yeah, um, I think Juno is the the most uh, you know quirky and whimsical with her dialogue. But like I said, Rain Wilson, uh, every, his, that character's every, every line he has is is that, and like it graded on me this time. You said it didn't age well. Uh, it it was really grating for me on this most recent watch, and uh, her friend as well. Um, when she says "honest to blog," yes, I I wanted to like. I wanted to rip my hair out. <laughs> it was it's rough. the Olivia Thurlby character. Uh, is it Leah? I believe uh, is the the best friend. And yeah, okay. For I mean, I don't necessarily want to launch. I didn't want to necessarily launch into Leah, but there are so many things wrong with Leah in this film. The yeah. first time we meet her, she's in her bedroom, and okay, the back wall. Did either of you take a gander or pause the film to look at the photo? She's got photographs of men on the wall. Let's just be clear here. 
Donald Trump, Woody Allen, William H. Macy. It doesn't hold up well. Just saying. She's got, and hey, Prince what, Charles. What's William H. Macy done? Why, why are you lumping William H. Macy with those other people? Well, <laughs> you know, he and Felicity Huffman have had some issues, I guess, with, you know, their college-related, uh, their, their parenting. God, but Ken Dussold coming after William H. Macy. I like William H. Macy, but I'm saying controversy, controversy here. Mm-hmm. She, okay. Her role, it's got Prince Charles on there. It's just, it's just, it doesn't hold up well. These are older guys that she's attracted to, clearly, I guess. She also lusts after her, ge- her geometry the slightly, o- Yeah, um, the slightly yep. overweight, elder, not elderly, but older. I mean, he's like 60-ish, it looks like, 55 maybe, but older, yeah, teacher. I mean, there are so many things wrong with Leah, and it's concerning. Well, my biggest concern is she said on a sublog when Juno told her she was pregnant, and I'm... Um, the other thing that, like, I think part of the reason this didn't age well, and I'm kind of speaking to TJ a little bit here, is that I remember the coverage of this movie. This was kind of treated as like a, oh, is this, like, how kids are talking now? And like, oh, is this how kids will be talking for the next 10 years? And that kind of thing. As if it was like, as if this was like a forward-thinking movie, and not just like a one-off kind of weird heightened dialogue for just this one movie. And th- th- so the takes didn't age well. I think the takes aged worse than than the dialogue itself. Um, do you guys remember anything like that? Like people kind of treating it as if this was like a new thing? Everyone, everyone in the movie is also like so on all the time as well. Like it's almost like uh, we got to find every single line of dialogue and then rewrite with kind of the quirkiest reference or the quirkiest expression that you can find in, into that. Um, I, I will give the movie credit that as far as, you know, kids these days, at least a lot of the people they cast actually look like high school kids. Um, most high school movies and television shows, like the people are like 30 year old models. And I was watching this and I'm like, oh, that kid didn't comb his hair this morning. Like that's, that's accurate. You know, and I, I'll give it credit for that. Um, but yeah, the, the kid that the kid that runs up to Paul Bleeker, who's played by Michael Sarah, and like says, "Do you hear Juno's pregnant? Do you hear it's yours?" <laughs> like that kid looks fifteen. Like I completely buy the agree. The, a little fifteen. And I think this speaks to what, what you were alluding to, though. Nobody actually. Ta- like, we were in high school at this time. Nobody actually mm-hmm. talked yeah. like this. Yeah, we were the ages of these of these characters when it came out. Yeah, right. For sure. We, people didn't talk like this. This is not how all high school students talked. And there was there was this. Uh, there was I distinctly you, you remember you calling everybody home skillet back in two thousand seven. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Don't try to pretend like you didn't. Oh, absolutely. That was <laughs> that was my go to. Right. I mean, <laughs> the, there's kind of a Juno effect because then we see films after this for a few years where this is kind of a routine thing. It happens this year in particular in this film, and I think Superbad is also 2007. You see this sudden, okay, for the aughts, this is how high school students apparently talk. Right through Easy A. I'm going to push back. I'm going to push back and say that the way they talk in Superbad was very much a reflection of how I think the people that I knew talked in 2007. And I feel like Superbad and Juno, you can't really compare the dialogues because Superbad wasn't cutesy like this. No. Well, no, this is, this is going for that, that like, adorkable like, yeah, factor. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it's, thinks it's cool. It thinks it's hip. But in fact, it's naive and kind of childish. It's... Well, and, and something I think that goes with that that kind of is to Ken's point, um, a lot of the kind of quirky flourishes or the cutesy flourishes that are supposed to add depth to characters, you know, the hamburger phone, chugging my weight in Sunny D, like all of those sorts of things. Um, 
or the bands that she's listening to, which then go into the yeah. soundtrack. Yes, they, yes, 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 yes. They yes. don't feel to me like bands that 16 year old kids listen to they feel like bands that like 35 year old people listen to and then write into the kids you know tarantino kind of does this where it's like the characters talk about movies and it's like his opinion of the movies um (laughs) you know uh and and so that's a little um i think kind of transparent to me in a negative way i want to put a pin in that I want to put a pin in Juno's music and movie taste because I want to I want to talk about it later because that kind of feeds into her the Jason Bateman of it all, which I think is like actually a something I admire about this movie, and we can come back to that. Uh, what you're making a face? You don't like the Jason Bateman part of it all? Uh, it's the worst part of the movie. How do you mean? Well, we're coming back to it later, but because it has the mo- potential to be interesting and in-depth, and then where it goes is a huge fumble. Hmm. I actually kind of disagree, but we'll come back to that. Uh, so you mentioned that the characters look like their actual ages, which you admire, I admire as well. Um, I'm going to segue that comment into saying that I actually really like the performances, mo- mostly across the board here, uh, save for, like, you know, Brain Wilson's... <laughs> one scene role or whatever uh i think elliot page is excellent like really excellent and uh, i think jk simmons and um allison janney allison janney are very well cast i think jennifer gardner kind of has a bit of a nothing part that she actually does a, a does a good job with it uh, uh tj you look horrified again i see you and raise you she's amazing in this movie she should have been nominated for an oscar for this movie um, she's perfectly this is, cast. This is a thankless role. Yeah, no, uh, but she's she's really good. I don't know that it's a thankless role. She's the only one to me that feels like a complicated, fleshed out character because she's the only one that doesn't immediately, constantly say the most obnoxious thing that's on her mind. So what's interesting about her is when she chooses to assert herself and when she doesn't. And I think what's interesting too about her casting is she's someone like... And I don't mean this negatively at all. It's just as an observation. She has very sharp facial features. And so when you see her in the photos with Jason Bateman and like their white sweaters, you're kind of going, oh, this is one of those like type A, very controlling. But immediately that gets peeled back. And her need to control comes from a vulnerability. Uh, For me, where I, I really was like, wow, I didn't notice this. I got this wrong the first time I saw it. Uh, when she says pregnancy is a beautiful thing and Juno's like, well, you're just lucky you don't have to carry it. And then there's a reaction shot there that is, I think, the best acting in the movie, personally. I'm just going to jump in. I personally actually don't like Jennifer Garner's performance in this film, mainly because I don't like the character. That said, she's... How can you not like this character? She's, she's frustratingly... Uh, She's frustratingly dislikable and not... I think she's... What does she do that's dislikable? You cannot answer a question of why do you not like her with she's dislikable. That doesn't make any sense. You need, you need to give me more. The controlling aspect that TJ is talking about, the I don't believe the film actually ever balances that out. She is I completely so disagree. determined and... I wildly disagree with this, with this take, but keep going. 
I, she never redeems, in my mind, watching this film, she never redeems herself in my eye. From doing what? Redeemed from doing what? What? What's her, what is her character's big... She's so driven by one, only one, one thing, one thing only. She yeah, wanting to be no, a mom, how dare her? <laughs> she doesn't interact with anybody in the film in a human way, in a normal human way. She's very, she's incredibly awkward. She is kind of detached because she has so she has so much at stake like with uh, juno's this quirky irresponsible person that she's making this deal with when someone else has already backed out on them so you can watch her measure every single thing she says around her you know and this is again this is a problem with the writing more so than than garner she's got to work with what she's given that's what i'm saying i think that she's kind of flat on the page i think this is kind of a nothing part that jennifer garner brings a lot too but i'm i'm kind of coming around on that because it's tj's point but continue ken sorry well no so i that's i'm i'm not trying to disparage garner i think most of i think most of the problem with her character and from my view watching the film it's just not really well written from my from my position and i think i think this for sure i do not feel as strongly or as positively about this film uh this watch as i certainly as i did the first time i watched it i was a little higher on it the film is not really well written beginning to end so many of the characters are so overly written that they're not relatable or believable and it kind of detracts. It's like watching. It's like watching a screenwriter, screenwriter's creations. And you can't. I can't take that away. I can't separate that from what I'm watching. And Garner's character is ignoring everything else in her life. It seems like, and serious problems. Like it's kind of. It's it's kind of suggesting that it's all right to. What is she ignoring in her life? Uh, the fact that she and her husband are clearly at odds and disagree with where they're at and it's not it's not like oh well he pulled the wool over her eyes no they're in a relationship long enough and us as the audience can absolutely see on some of those reaction shots that he is not in on this 100 percent. they have they're not having serious discussions that they should be having tj said something backed out previously who do you think that was do you think it was a potentially pregnant woman or do you think it was jason bateman who backed out on the previous one i think it's implied that jason bateman got cold feet oh i read it as the other uh potential mother did because that because jennifer garner's vanessa's bringing it up to juno as like uh do you do you think you're sure about this and she's like oh gosh i'd pop it out and give it to you right now so the fact that that was what caused her to say that um but then it goes to it goes to jason bateman jason bateman has the line that says cold feet He's the one who says it. Yeah, but not. I think I think it suggests that. I mean, what we learn is like Bateman was clearly okay. His character was clearly okay with the fact that the previous mother uh, backed out. Like that. That to him was a relief. Um, But it's clear that he he and his wife are not on the same page. She gives. She's relegated his entire life to a room and a basement storage space. Like, not his entire life. The the part of his life that he's holding on to that's like grow the f up. Meaning bud. his, meaning his, meaning this, his this interest. Interesting. Hold, in on, his hold job. on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Like I think his interest in his job have some overlap, but they're not they're not mutually inclusive necessarily. It's interesting you have this take, Ken. It sounds like you're sympathetic to Jason Bateman and therefore adversarial against Jennifer Gardner's character. No, no, no. And Let's be clear. I'm not I'm not fully sympathetic to Bateman's character either. They are two people in a relationship and they're not communicating at all. And, and you're putting this a lot on Jennifer Gardner. You're putting the lack of communication on Jennifer Gardner. 
You're saying she's ignoring everything in her life. That's because we're discussing Garner's I'm character. I'm repeating your words back. No, I, you're not. You're distorting what we're discussing. We're talking about Garner. Next time on Divorce Court. <laughs> Let's be clear. Both of these people are problematic, which is part of what the film emphasizes. The fact, I mean, we're talking about a teenager who seems more mature than the adults around her, with, except, with the exception of her parents. That's what the film or is. so she thinks. Exactly. That's what the film is trying to make us believe that she thinks she's more mature. And the fact is, compared to Garner and uh, Bateman, she. She clearly is because she's going straight there. Not with the then Vanessa. Discussion. Not then Vanessa. Uh uh-uh. uh. Yes, because I'm just. It's it's an unhealthy look. Okay, she's oh, not. Li- she's living a lie, and she's ignoring the signs because she's choosing to. Because she so wants her life to be so perfect and ideal and exactly the way she wants it, that she cannot. She cannot pause for a moment and figure out these serious problems like she seems she seems so unemotional like she's not she's not overly emotional at all throughout the film and when we do see her in the dining room drinking a glass of wine it's kind of an acceptance of yeah she kind of sees how this came to be and how they've gotten there she's not she does the not scene where she feels the baby kicking that was uh, no. I'm she's extremely emotional. No, no. She I collapses into Jason Bateman's arms the first time they meet Juno, and she le- and she leaves. She claps into his arms and starts crying as soon as as soon as Juno walks out the door the first time they meet her. Not enough for you, Ken. Would you prefer that she falls to her knees and weeps? Do either of you watch the whole film from beginning to end when we I'm talk about the these? Right I'm now. curious because I'm, right now. I'm talking about the relationship between the husband and wife character and the fact that when he, when they have the discussion, finally realizing when he comes down and like, okay, they're separating. He's getting an apartment, da- a loft downtown. She is not. Neither one of these characters is overly emotional about the breakup of the marriage, which means they both know instinctively they saw the signs they were just ignoring them they weren't bringing it up they weren't addressing the problems that's more on him than it is on her it's it's way more on it it's almost it's on, on him both of them because of the fact she sees it coming and is choosing to Yo, ignore it he agreed to put an ad in the penny saver and he could have been like hey i'm not sure about this just is she supposed to be like are you sure are you sure you're sure are you sure a thousand percent sure like mm, it's on him it's not really on her the fact that he comes in when they're weeks away from getting this baby, days away from getting this baby, possibly, and it's like, actually, no, that's that's not on her, that's on him. Let me back up and say that it's interesting to watch this as a, we're all 32, and when it came out, we were 17, 18, and it's interesting where, like, what that shift in perspective brings to a movie like this, because in this movie, there is, like, a friendship between Jason Bateman, a adult married man and juno a 16 year old high school girl and when i watched it at 17 i identified with juno because i was very close to her age and because i saw myself as an adult at the time i also saw her as an adult so i was not as weirded out by juno hanging out with jason bateman and now that i watch this as a 32 year old man uh i i'm extremely skeeved out (laughs) by juno hanging out with jason bateman i'll be honest i was creeped out when we were 17 it's just it's weird how how right to it he kind of goes, just naturally and instinctively. And in fact, this I did not notice the first time watching it. She comes storming back into the kitchen, obviously a slightly traumatized by the discussion and interaction they just had. Like, she's thrown, and Jennifer Garner's in the kitchen. Like, 
there's this look in Jennifer Garner's face or eyes when then Bateman comes into the room where like she's concerned about what just transpired and she's thinking the same thing we're thinking about the like potential for what occurred in the other room. I'm not sure it plays well even even if you're a teenager it's just it's it's not as stark as Leah crushing on the older teacher but like Jason Bateman is a married man and he's reciprocating her interests. It starts out to an extent. It, it starts out it doesn't seem creepy in the beginning because if anything the idea that she's that into music and he's into music it's like well that's actually a that's good news for him because she's going to be giving him her baby he might be able to pass along interest in music to the child it starts off kind of just like a possible a possible opportunity to bond these two characters or at least i guess ground bateman's character in in this pregnancy and the reality that hey you're going to be a father at first vanessa comes off this is where we're talking in the beginning of the film tj you were talking about she's passed the pictures on the wall Vanessa seems overly controlling, like the the all-white clothing on all of the, the couple photos, the all-white walls, and he's got the dark, dark-painted room with the music stuff, and she seems kind of affronted by the fact that they're bonding over music. Um, it's certainly later, yes, we find out his his not being in the same place as her is a problem, and it just gets kind of creepier and creepier the more often they spend time together. Until Alice and Janney, there's that scene with Alice and Janney where she comes home and Janney has to like yell at her for like, you don't, you don't understand or realize the ramifications or, or the perception. Which I, I didn't like that, that scene as much when I was a high schooler myself because Alice and Janney is an adult talking down to a high schooler saying, you, you're not as mature as you think you are. And I was a high schooler and thought I was mature. So I also thought Janine was mature, too, because I identified with her. But now I'm like, yeah, of course, listen to Alice and Janie because she's completely correct. Um, so it's interesting that perspective switch. I think it's creepy pretty quickly. And she loves uh, dogs. Yeah, she goes over there just to sh- – yeah, she does. She ha- was going to get Weimaraners once Juno moves out. Um, I think it's pretty quick, pretty creepy pretty quickly. She goes over there with the ultrasound. And uh, if you notice, like, as she rings the doorbell, she adjusts her skirt because she wants to look nice. And um, like you say, at first, it's – a fairly innocent interaction. She shows him the ultrasound. They talk about music. And then they put on a movie together right. and start watching a movie. And then they're like on the couch. They're in a two shot on the couch and they're staring at each other. They're not, they're not like too close together, but like he, she says that uh, she's named after the goddess Juno who was mean and beautiful. And he said, well, that suits you. Right. And like, it's yes. a very pregnant pause. TJ's making a face. I agree with that face. TJ, yes. That horrified face. Vanessa comes home immediately after that. And like, I wonder what would happen if she didn't. You know, I worry what would have happened had she not come home right at that moment. Uh, TJ, what do well, you Well, here's, here's why I have such an issue with this just development within the movie. Why? Like, why does it, why, why does it need to go here? What's the purpose of this? It seems to me that like the purpose of the Mark character and his immaturity is uh, to destabilize what appeared to be a idyllic relationship on the surface. It's destabilized. It puts Juno then into that like dark night of the soul moment of, geez, does anybody stay together? Can anybody grow up? You know, like it has her worry about Bleaker because Bleaker's going to prom with the girl with the stink eye. And it also then kind of works in, he's immature. He hasn't grown up. He hasn't, you know. 
you get that in the first scene where she goes up to go pee and then Vanessa finds them playing guitars together and she's like, um, we're, like, we're, we're downstairs talking. For what it's worth to me, I don't think you need another scene with Mark and Juno after that. Like, I, I got it. Uh, it goes on this route of, like, creepy pedophilia. And I think that makes Mark's character way less sympathetic, way less complicated, way less interesting, because now he's not someone who is stuck in arrested development. Um, he's, he, he's now gross and weird yes. and it colors everything that he does, right? Before that, I could be like, oh, buddy, you got to grow up. Come on, put the guitars down. But once, once he goes there, then it just be, it, it, overshadows all the other complications of his character in my viewing so the the romantic element between mark and juno i think is like they put they they step on the gas just enough on that and they pull back right before it becomes like where you're what you think is what you're talking about yeah, right the now. problem is like in the storage room though it goes it goes past the line to it it, it becomes full-on Full on adult. I mean, when they're in the storage, when they're in his storage room or whatever, and they start dancing together, and they They slow dance. They're slow dancing, and he's moving her hands and replacing her hands on his shoulders, and he's placing her. They they slow dance, and then he tells her at this moment that he's leaving his wife. Right. And he asks her, and she's horrified by this, and he says, "How is it you think of me?" Implying that like he thinks she thinks of him romantically. And again, it's there. It's certainly there, but it's like. It's just enough. I just don't know why it needs to go there. Like, what does that add to the point of the film? So why we need scenes with Mark and Juno beyond that first guitar playing scene is that Juno's perspective of Mark and herself evolves. And then Mark's perspective of himself also evolves the more time they spend together. The whole crux of this movie is the dramatic climax is, is Juno realizing that she's not as mature as she thinks she is. She is actually just a kid. And these adult matters are over her head and she realizes that when this guy that she thought was a stable married man ready for a kid turns out to be a boy who wants to move back to the city and try to be a rock star still and it's pathetic honestly and then mark because he gets to hang out with this hip 16 year old he also thinks that maybe i've got some years left in me and i don't need to settle down and be a married father in the suburbs yet i i still got time to go she thinks i'm cool i still got time to go back and be a cool guy the the two lines that really 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 stuck with three lines really that really stuck with me um even though i hadn't seen this movie in 15 years is the fight or fight quote unquote between mark and vanessa where she says your shirt is stupid what do you want to go back and be a rock star and he says don't mock me. And then later on, after he says, I'm moving to the city, getting aloft, she says, well, aren't you the cool guy? Like, she just cuts right to the heart of him and cuts right through his bullshit. And I'm like, good for you. Because, like, that's that's correct. That's I, a correct take. I hear everything you, you're saying here, and I think you're correct. I just still don't know why it has to go the creepy pedo route. Can't we, can't we get all the things you just said without the romance? I think there's, I think there's barely a, a romance. Like, yes, it's there, but like they, but they, they hold back just enough that it doesn't become like entirely that. He's not leaving his wife because he wants to be with Juno. He's leaving his wife because Juno made him realize he's not as old as he thinks. I know, he but he's slow like, danced you know I mean? with a sixteen-year-old girl alone in his house. Like, buddy, I, I agree buddy. with. Sure he did. I <laughs> agree with TJ's point to this degree. The 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 reality is, 
the film doesn't once once you go there that becomes like that becomes the entire the overriding influence on your your views of mark like walking out of the theater like whatever you feel about all of the the characters mark suddenly is creepy because he made a move on a teenager and it's i don't think he made a move uh, it's kind of a move i'm not sure that's a move it's it's that's what i'm saying it's like it's borderline absolutely and if I had a sixteen-year-old daughter and a married guy did this with her, I would probably punch him in the face. Right. So minimum. that's but the thing. Does at it, the same time, mm. but you don't need it because the the real heart or crux of Mark's issue is not that he's attracted to a sixteen-year-old. It's not that he wants to go looking for for other women other than Vanessa. Even it's that he's got an unfulfilled dream and he's never grown out of that dream or away from that dream. And he's not. He's he's just kind of barely suppressed it beneath the surface but it's still there and he's still tapping into it when he can and that that's a that's a complex that's a complex idea within the film that could have worked really well well it is i don't know how you can call vanessa i don't know how you can call vanessa single mind and then call mark i'm well no give me clear the relationship though could have been more complex but as written you get these these less fleshed out characters and the fact that mark instead of instead of delving into all of that stuff no we just get him getting increasingly creepy regarding juno and vanessa again there's there is not enough emotion and enough focus i think on the dynamic between this couple like this is part of what wakes juno up to the the realities of the world, right? And the fact that this relationship is not as I mean, it, let's be honest, it's not it doesn't appear perfect. It appears Stepford in the beginning. It's faux perfect. It's a, it's an illusion and the movie is channeling that with those photos on the wall. Like this is not a perfect relationship. But the fact that they they're lying to each other and to themselves throughout the film. And I think that's what I was talking about in the 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 scene in the dining room. These are two people who totally 100% aren't surprised by this discussion and this this situation. She's she's somewhat floored that they've actually gotten here maybe. Like she's drinking the wine and, you know, she didn't <laughs> this is where she was going to go. But she's not falling apart and fighting to for anything related to the relationship. No, no, he's moving out and they're not they're rather not emotional about it. She definitely wants the baby, with or without him. But as as to the relationship, it's an unhealthy relationship. Can I shift real quick? Shift. Okay. Um, I buried the lead here, so you. I think you wanted me to come out hot um, on this, and certainly when I watched it the other day, I was sharpening my knives. A lot of my critiques from when I was seventeen, I believe, hold up, but I f- once felt them with the burning rage of a thousand suns and now they don't bother me as much i i still think they're they're gross but i used to be like that goddamn hamburger phone and now i'm like yeah the hamburger phone's pretty obnoxious <laughs> you know diablo cody also had a hamburger phone growing up by the way that's like a real thing that she had and just inserted into the script apparently they sent them to critics or members of the or members of the academy i don't know which they okay, sent that hamb- is they gross. sent out hamburger phones as kind of a promotional thing so i still don't really care for this film but uh, my hatred of it is significant. I don't. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. It's just not very good. Um, so sorry. I wanted. I wanted to come out here ready to to go on rants, and uh, now it's just it. 
is better than I remembered. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I feel like you're 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 evolving. I think. Well, I I think I grew up. Um, <laughs> hopefully, yeah. <laughs> uh, over the, it was half my life ago. Uh, but but. You know, some things I liked better, things that I paid attention to that I noticed. Um, cer- certain things also, again, I think just don't really work, but I just don't hate them as much. One such example, you brought up Rain Wilson. Um, there's certain scenes, and by certain scenes, I mean a lot of them, that feel like they're written toward, let's get here so that someone can say something funny. Uh, for example, uh, she's doing the third pregnancy test of the day. Takes it out of the bathroom with her piss on it. Up to the bodega man, and then shakes it there. Shakes it. First of all, what is it his business if you're pregnant? Secondly, you 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 know how many health code violations you just like. And, and so I felt like when she shakes it, that that makes me cringe. Yeah, yeah sure. and so it feels to me like that's there because we need Rain Wilson to say the etch a sketch line. You know, yes, yes, um, which was used heavily in every trailer. Every trailer had that line in it. Yeah, so there's there's things like that in the film that I'm. I feel like you can just sort of see, like, oh, this isn't really driven by the characters. It's driven by the necessity of, like, the script, if that makes sense. No, I think you're right. Uh, I haven't, like, watched it enough times, like, break down the construction of the scenes. But in terms of how the movie is put together, um, something I realize about myself is I really like movies that have that start with fall, have a winter, and then end with spring. Uh, Rushmore doesn't quite do that, but Rushmore does have month uh, title cards. Where it starts in September and like have you goes have you November. seen another year by Mike Lee? I don't think I've seen another year by Mike oh, Lee. Oh, no. you need to watch it. Does that like thirty minute seasons basically, and it's splendid. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. It's not it's not quite the act breaks functionally in the screenplay, but it's close to the act breaks where you have autumn and then winter and then spring in this movie. I mean, but um, I don't know there's something about that that I really enjoy. Speaking of which, like the the autumn, winter, and spring uh, title cards are like handwritten on the screen, quote unquote handwritten, which. Uh, is uh, the opening titles are also all kind of like drawn um, stylistically. TJ, you're making a face like you don't like the opening titles. I, I, I don't. I think it's pretty gross. It's it's with the it's so cute, you know. It is very cute and a very cute indie hip song playing as well. Yeah, and the the cutesy aesthetic of it. Uh, this is why I think part of why this movie was actually received and is liked uh, by a lot of people. When something's cute. It puts you, I'm borrowing from CN Nye. Uh, she has a book called The Zany, The Cute, and The Merely Interesting. It puts you in a position of kind of a parent of superiority over something that's cute. Because things that are cute, like babies, are uh, fluffy. They can be cuddled. They can be handled. They're amorphous. They all also kind of look alike. And so what it does is it triggers this thing wherein you want to then possess it. Things that are cute, then you want to kind of like bring in and add to your collection. And so to me, the, the cuteness, I think, is uh, manipulative and it's it's gross to me. But not for not for nothing. Mason Novick, who Josh, you pointed out earlier, was the producer that basically from the start was working with Cody. His I, I don't know if it's his next film, but certainly one of his next films right after this is 500 Days of Summer. So when you're talking about mm, a film that, that looks perfect, a lot alike this, uh, yes, yes, it's, it's TJ. You're giving us those big eyes, like you're you're shocked, but maybe not surprised. That's like this is what we're talking about. These kind of films that start to look like even the title card sequences, the use of the of of uh, seasons. That movie takes heavily from those very colorful, the quirky yes. soundtracks. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I love the Smiths. 
I like the Five Nights at Summer soundtrack. I bought that soundtrack when in college. I here's the thing. I think back both, when you bought CDs, both are perfectly enjoyable watches. Like I, I really liked Juno because I think at the time I thought, yes, it's doing something a little different, and I was kind of pleased to see it in the conversation at the time. Uh, 14, 15 years removed, whatever we are now from it, it's uh, it's still an enjoyable enough watch. I didn't hate watching it. But I've grown up enough to, I think I'm closer to where you are, TJ, now. I think we're just, we're, we're getting closer to one another in our views of this movie, coming from different directions. Um, I've got, I've got quite a bit of problems, problem with the writing. Like it's, as you mentioned earlier, Josh, a lot of it is so overwritten and it's so glaring that it's, it's really frustrating at times to sit through some of the scenes. Honestly, I think like the, the, the part of the writing that I responded to the least this time that kind of grated on me the most was like, not to bring Mark back up, but like the way that they, the way, Juno's taste, basically her taste in music and her taste in movies that like TJ, you put it really well. It's like a adult person kind of putting this into a teenager's mouth to, as like a mouthpiece for their own tastes. But I don't know. It, it kind of rang a little false to me. I, I, I don't know if false is the right word, but like, I didn't know anyone granted, you know, we weren't the hippest guys in high school, but I didn't know anybody who speak for you yourself know, would call <laughs> would call the Stooges their favorite band and have like a three way tie for their favorite band and be really into Dario Argento and that kind of stuff. See, like honestly, I would have I would have bought it. It seems a little precocious. If Juno was about four years older. Like that's all college yeah, stuff for sure. You know that stuff you discover in college. Yeah. Sure, yeah. But um, I think I've also softened on the movie a little bit. Like Ken, uh, I liked it a lot when it came out. I still like it a lot, but maybe less so. Um, I think in the scheme, like Diablo Cody has gone on to a pretty good career after this. It was her first produced script, obviously, and won her an Oscar. But um, she's written, I think, three total movies that Jason Reitman's directed and um, a few others that I've seen. I think I've seen four of her movies being this, Jennifer's Body, Young Adults, which is Jason Reitman, and Tully, which is also Jason Reitman. And I think this is, Juno's probably three of four, three out of four, if I were to rank those four movies. Young Adult is effing solid. I want to talk about Jason Reitman, so I'm glad you brought up Young Adult. I'm glad you agree that Young Adult is solid. I think that's probably number one of the Diablo Cody scripts. It, it, gets, it gets a I've major seen. assist from like a wonderful performance by Charlize Theron. But yes. I, I also 100%. think like the kind of edgy quirkiness in there um, is, is toned down. It it's, has more pathos, and I think it works so much better with that character Mavis. Um there's there's wonderful sorry I'm going on a tangent but there's wonderful lines in there my favorite bit is is uh, right at the end when she's going back to the Twin Cities and that woman's like take me with you and she goes no <laughs> you're good here <laughs> oh, it's it's just so, even her waking up and chugging the bottle of Diet Coke I'm like I know who you are immediately you know <laughs> like it's just yeah it, real quick while we're on the subject of Cody though uh, if you ha- it's a slight recommendation it's not a film. But uh, Cody did actually do, I think, a pretty good job in creating United States of Tara. We've all talked on off off podcast about how much we appreciate Tony Collette. I think um, she's the lead of that show, and it's produced by Spielberg's DreamWorks outfit. Um, and that that's actually a uh, that's a pretty good um, pretty good next step for her after Juno. Just saying, um, but that's in the television world. Back to Reitman and his. Yeah, so I, I don't like when people say this kind of thing, but, like, I have no other way to phrase it. I think that Juno, the movie's kind of pleased with itself yes. in terms of, like, the dialogue 
and its its quirkiness. And I think that young adult is a little bit more. It the 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 movie's perspective is it's kind of embarrassing that she's that it's talking like this. Does that make sense? Yeah, and you she I mean? and she has a similar thing that Mark does, where she is that mean girl from high school that never let go of the position of social control such that now she exercises it through her young adult novels. Um, and there's, there's a way I think in which that movie is, is sympathetic to her, but still, um, see, it doesn't let her off the hook. Though. Yeah. And, and, By any means. and definitely keeps her at arm's length. Um, sees her much more clearly, I think than anyone in this, in this film has seen. Yeah. So, and what's, what's funny about young adult is I think it's, excellent and i think it's my favorite movie that diablo cody's written but it kind of like i think kind of derailed jason reitman's career a little bit if i'm being hmm. honest like um because he made he made thank you for smoking in two, 2005 2006 i want to say um which was very 2005 it was very well received uh, I, I like the movie a lot he made this and you know is nominated for best director best picture two years later he makes up in the air which is a movie that i really really enjoy i think probably um, his best if I'm, if I were to, pick. I think probably his best too. Yeah. yeah. Um, also nominated for best best director and best picture and uh, tons of others, and then he makes Young Adult and um, it kind of it didn't go over well as as I remember. Um, it kind of it flopped and like critics kind of didn't really know what to do with it. It's not cute. It's prickly. It's not cute. It's not cute. I seem to recall critics more often than not liking it. I don't know that they they didn't fawn over it, but I think generally they were more positive to it. But yeah, it did not. Let me check. I don't recall it doing well at the box office. It, it has an eighty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, the critical consensus says, despite its somewhat dour approach, which it certainly is dour, Young Adult is a funny and ultimately radical, no holds barred examination of prolonged adolescence, thanks largely to convincing performance by Char- Charlie Theron. Um, generally favorable reviews on Metacritic. Um, but it certainly wasn't the response of Thank You for Smoking Juno or Up in the Air, which was, were his three preceding films. Um, and, and I guess I'm just kind of like Monday morning, Monday morning quarterbacking a little bit by saying that it kind of derailed his career because his next two movies were Labor Day, which went over like a lead balloon, and Men, Women, and Children, which also went over like a lead balloon. I've seen neither of those, and I, I don't think I know anybody who's seen either one of those movies, but one of them has Kate Winslet and Josh Brolin. That's Labor one Day. Of them has Adam, one of them has Adam Sandler. And, like, you would think that movies with that kind of star power would, like, at least make something of a splash. And, like, neither one made any kind of splash. I remember Labor Day being also just a kind of a mess of a plot. Like, this is, if if I recall, it's kind of got a a Stockholm Syndrome uh, aspect to the the characters. Um, Like, the Brolin character holding hostage the Winslet character or something. Um, it was not well. Re- it was not well received or well reviewed at all. I do not remember Men, Women, and Children. I don't even remember that existing as a film. And Tully comes right after that. I actually like Tully. I think I. I it was a pretty interesting watch. But I remember. Oh, hold on, real it quick. Not- hold on, real quick. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Men, Women, and Children uh, stars Rosemary DeWitt, Jennifer Gardner, Judy Greer, Dean Norris, Adam Sandler, Ansel Elgort, Caitlin Deaver, and Timothy Chalamet. And none of us know a goddamn thing about it, which I think is is very telling. Sorry, continue about Tully, which is a movie that I also very much enjoy. Keep going. I, I do enjoy Tully, and I and I'm sorry to say it did not it did not get much response. It did not do well at the box. I know it did not do well at the box office, and the reception was even lukewarm uh, from from critics, if I recall correctly. There was there was a lot of comments on the fact that it's a film that's 
very smart, but not a lot of critics. I uh, really enjoyed it, if I recall. Kind of like, kind of like young adult. The reaction was somewhat, it's dour and well. Young Adult and Tully are similar in the fact that they're both directed by Jason Reitman, written by Diablo Cody, and starring Charlize Theron, and both, like, didn't make any money in the box office, had some tepid defenders from critics, but not really, like, an overwhelmingly positive consensus, and both movies I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy and recommend wholeheartedly, and I, I think they're two of Reitman's best movies and two of Diablo Cody's best movies that I've seen, so. TJ, did you see Tully? I have not. I would like to, but I have not. It's good. Um, it's great. Yeah. Can I ask, what do we think... Um, because when you look at that career, it's it's kind of balanced of like four you could say hits, four misses, um, and then and then Ghostbusters, and now it's uh, franchise management. Yeah, it's so, this is <laughs> keeping one's career alive through nepotism. Uh, to, to quote Jack Black from School of Rock, <laughs> "Little nepotism." Um, <laughs> what do you think he brings to the table as a director? I remember when he was nominated for Best Director for Juno. Now, granted, we all talked about how I foamed at the mouth of the mention of this film when I was 17. But being like, wait, what? I think there is a a style on display in both Thank You for Smoking and Juno that probably comes from him. Um, like, I think they're both pretty stylistic movies. And, like, I remember seeing Thank You for Smoking at 16 and being kind of blown away by it because I hadn't ever really seen a movie like that before like that stylistically made it was outside of what i was used to and now i've seen a bunch of movies like that so it's less impressive now but at the time it kind of blew my mind a little bit Mm -hmm. and um i I think that you could say that about mm, less so about this this i think is like less stylistically made than thank you for smoking but um i don't know i think like some of the editing in this and up in the air are Mm -hmm. admirable Mm -hmm. i like how those movies are constructed i like how they're structured too which is you know his hand i guess I struggle to talk about directors, I think. Oh. I don't know. The problem with talking about Reitman is I'm not sure that it stands out enough because as far as like uh, his 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 voice in the films, like they're there. They're present. I think if you watch Thank You for Smoking and like Up in the Air, Young Adult and Tully, I think you kind of get a you, – you do get his voice coming through there. You get his, his impact on the film. Um. But a lot of those, I think, are heavily influenced and heavily impacted by the collaboration in the film. So, like, Up in the Air doesn't work if you don't have George Clooney being as hands-on with the entire production from beginning to end. Um, Same thing with Charlize Theron in Young Adult and and Tully. Um, And in to those films plus this one, I think Diablo Cody, her voice really comes through strongly through her writing and her screenplays. So I think to the to the degree he has more of a voice than his father, Ivan Reitman, for example, who is kind of just doing the comedy shtick with his buddies. Um, Jason Reitman is definitely a student of, of cinema, a student of film, a bit of a movie geek, and he's he's definitely making films with the history of movies and, and the... the the style he's aiming for in mind i'm just not sure that it's it's it really comes through or is so strong that it um you can easily pick it out i get the sense that he's a good collaborator um a little bit inside baseball you guys both know this but uh due to my wife's job at the time she and i was were able to attend uh the um american cinematech award 
presented to Charlize Theron a couple years ago. So it was like a night honoring Charlize Theron. And like he was there. Uh, Seth Rogen was there. Pat Oswalt was there. Her co-star and young adult. But like Jason Reitman is one of the people who went up there and spoke on her behalf. And like they're joking with each other and their rapport. Uh, you could tell it was like genuine. And partially that's because Charlize Theron is one of the most, you know, likable people in the world. But like, you know, it. I think it's probably no accident that their two collaborations are fruitful like probably the you know Reitman's two best movies and it's interesting to me that like I think the three movies that Reitman has made of Diablo Cody's scripts I think like I, I like Jennifer Bo- Jennifer's Body a lot uh Karen Kusama directed that um but I don't think it's as good as either Juno or Young Adult or Tully so I think that Diablo Cody and Jason Reitman like they're they bring out the best in each other it would, I think it would be interesting if I wonder what how that film what that film looks like if Reitman had directed it or if it's much different. If I recall Reitman's body, I think, yes. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong. I think Reitman produced Jennifer's body. Um, cause it's only a couple me. years after Juno. Um, uh, he did. Yeah. He, I think he produced Jennifer's body. Yes, he did. I think Reitman is a competent director, but he really needs, he, he needs a collaborative. He needs a team of, of competent actors and a sc- competent a screenwriter. He needs to be working with other people, and they can get they can get something worthwhile. But you out. know, earlier jo- Josh named the pedigree that's in Labor Day and the pedigree that's in Men, Women, and Children, and uh, the the dough the dough did not rise. That well, no. that that speaks to just I mean, what do we know of the collaboration between uh, Reitman, Winslet, and um, Berlin for Labor Day? I don't know, and, and let's be honest. Ghost, Ghostbusters Afterlife is basically just an homage to Ivan and and the team behind the original Ghostbusters. He's totally doing that kind of as a nod and an honor, just a just a hey, I love my dad, let's do this kind of thing. It's filled with nostalgia. It's not really a Reitman film compared to the other ones. So I think, like in any case, if you've got a director who relies as heavily as we're suggesting Reitman does on collaborating. Uh, you've got to accept the fact that sometimes that collaboration doesn't work. I'll tell you a collaboration that does work is uh, Jason Reitman and J.K. Simmons. Yes. J.K. Simmons, who has a good role, a great role in Thank You for Smoking. He's he's great as Juno's dad in this. Uh, he's great in one scene in uh, Up, Up in the, the Air. air. Uh, I can't remember if he's in any of Reitman's other, other movies, but... If I recall, he's got, a, he's got a cameo appearance in Young Adult, but I think it's like over a phone, if I recall, or something. I did love in... In Juno, when she's talking about, you know, do you ever feel like you're just born to do something? He's like, yes, heating and cooling. <laughs> he, my note on him uh, with this was, he is such a perfect Midwestern dad. Yes. Like when he, yes. when he yes. goes to, really, really I, I forget where the movie takes place even, but when he Minnesota. goes to Mark and Vanessa's house and the way that he's uh, blunt and protective, but also doing the best that he can to be kind of minding his P's and Q's, but there's still a little bit of like this edge to him that he doesn't really have social graces. Um, he's, he's, he's really, really good in that. Um, my, if I, my favorite scene in this whole movie is the kitchen scene when she comes back and he's tinkering in the kitchen. Yep. Just the two of them. It's just Juno and her dad. That is my single favorite scene in the whole movie, and it's because J.K. Simmons is so perfect. He is well. That's the that's the crux of her arc. Yeah, that conversation is the crux of her arc. Yeah, and he acts. He just he acts perfectly in that scene. I think that that scene encompasses everything you want out of the ideal father, 
and the ideal character for this like juno you can see juno is not who she is and she does not come through this as successfully as she does certainly without simmons and janney's characters alice and janney who from the start you get the hint that maybe she's i mean she's a little quirky maybe she's a little too religious even i don't a little know serial um a little serial. but well we get that we get more of a kind of a, a sharpness to her for example when they go in for the 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 Ultrasound, the ultrasound well i i, I want to push back on that i remember liking that scene when i was 17 uh the content of I like that she stands up for Juno. The content of what she says is like really classist. <laughs> um, like I, I, I think her her choice to speak there and to confront is correct, but what's written from her I think comes off kind of Karenish. I don't think it's the classist because she is not like she's not a lawyer or a doctor herself. She's she's a nail technician, so like she's kind of speaking as. She's not. She's certainly not punching down. She's either punching up or punching laterally, depending on your perspective. So I don't know. I think it's good. I, I maybe I like it a little bit less because she won an Oscar for kind of doing this for a whole movie. Maybe. Yeah. So I, I feel a little softer on it now. I like her, but she definitely um, is a character actress um, doing this for a whole movie. But she also kind of, um, especially right after this movie, does this same type of role multiple times um yes. does it very very yeah. well but um there's very much an an alice and janney shtick for sure her best her best role unquestionably is in television with the west wing and she has yeah. yet to have a she role won, like five emmys or something she like has yet to have a role in film that equal comes anywhere near her role as, as cj craig in the west wing Yes, she's got her care. She's got a kind of the guidance counselor in Ten Things I Hate About You. That's my response to that statement. <laughs> Who writes erotic fiction? <laughs> Anything else to say about Janie? Because I want to move on first. Second, um, finish your Janie spiel. Well, I, I also just really like the scene. Um, I don't like the scene. I like this moment of the scene where uh, Juno confesses the pregnancy to them, and she just kind of immediately is like, "Okay, so we need to make appointments for you to do this. We need to get you some vitamins, whatever." Um, it's a nice bit because given her uh, – the way in which the film, I guess, prepares us to stereotype the response that she would have, um, and yet it becomes just kind she's of – a stepmother. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just – I think that's a nice touch. What do you guys think of Elliot Page in this? Not not wild about the performance, to be honest. Do you think it's the writing or the performance that you're not responding to? Because Juno is the most, you know, the most written character in terms of – how she speaks kind of on the whole time you know so it's it's hard for me to kind of separate those things i think um i don't i, I don't know if i have an answer for that but not wild about the performance it's you, you don't like the character i think it sounds like and therefore the performance is kind of bumping up against that possibly Maybe? possibly but there are the there, uh, but you know to, to rewind a bit i don't like nurse ratchet but i love the performance louise fletcher gives ken what do you think of elliot page's performance i i'm fine with the performance i like it i she she get or, he got nominated for an oscar for this role mm-hmm. i don't know that i agree with that but i do think that the performance works well enough to make this film an enjoyable watch i think if you don't if you can't if you can't enjoy the performance and the character um, you're gonna have a tough watch because, as you pointed, she, the character Juno, she is she is the literally epicenter of the film. It follows her constantly, and to TJ's point, yes, she is always on. And either you you like that, accept it, and think it's cute and and fine, or you don't. 
I think it's I think it's cute enough that it's fine and, and enjoyable. Um, I just don't know that it rises to the level that it did. Sure. So I'm I'm gonna both disagree and agree with things you said here. Um, I agree that Juno's the center of the film. So however you feel about Juno is probably gonna affect your how you feel about the movie overall. But I think that I think the Oscar nomination is appropriate because I think a lesser performance at the center of this movie. This movie's not gonna nominate for best picture. And it's not going to make nearly a quarter billion dollars at the box office, which this movie did. Made nearly a quarter billion of a dollar, quarter of a billion dollars. And I think a lot of that is on the shoulders of Elliot Page, who gives, I think, a great performance. TJ, what do you think about this movie's Best Picture nomination? In general, I don't think it's really a Best Picture movie. Um, I think for 2007, um, there's 25 films I might put in its place uh, for my own preference. Hold on, real quick. It was not. It was not. It was not for best picture, best director, Jason Reitman, best actress, Elliot Page, best original screenplay, Diablo Cody. That was, and then it won for original screenplay. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's okay. Um, I also think the the screenplay win is uh, looks really really bad, given that it was nominated uh, alongside yeah. Tamara Jenkins, uh, alongside the script for Michael Clayton. Not to get a week ahead of us is stunning. Um, it might be a perfect script. It's um, Rat- one of the best scripts of the last 30 years, for sure. Yes. Ratatouille has a better script than this film did. Um, I agree. Often, yeah, we, I completely we, agree, we yes. We talk about this a lot with the Oscars, that often their awards aren't really best so much as their most, and perhaps this was a most writing award. Mm. Um, also, they're, I, I don't think they're... A lot of writing. I don't think they're very good at necessarily at recognizing good writing. Um, pay attention to the winners of the last three or four years. Um, but that's just me. So... The, the the best original screenplay category, I don't know, I, th- I think that it was the Diablo Cody, her personal story on the Oscar campaign trail that probably sealed this win. Um, kind of, you know, everyone loves a rags to riches story. And, you know, not that you're in rags if you're a stripper by any means, but like, you know, it's, it's you know, it's a nice story. It's also, it's quirky and it's, it's definitely, it like, is. it's, it's, it's set in a high, it's, it, the, high, the main character is a high schooler, but it is a film that is very approachable for boomers. For an older an, an older segment of the Academy membership. The one thing people really talked about, like everybody talked about with this movie, was the dialogue. So I think it makes sense that, you know, I can understand why it went that way. But I'm glad that, like, Diablo Cody's other movies aren't quite written this much, to use TJ's phrase. It's not, they weren't as overly written as, this is kind of overly written a little bit, at least especially the dialogue part. Um, Ken, what do you think about this movie's best picture nomination and other oscar nominations i I agree with tj that there are a huge huge swath of films that i'd have wanted to see recognized above juno um even back then i enjoyed juno but it is by no means one of the five my five favorite films from that year and yet here it is nominated for best picture and best director and um in retrospect i don't know that it doesn't doesn't sit well with me it doesn't age well i don't think looking back on that year it's an entertaining film. It's an enjoyable comedy. It just it doesn't really, for me, fit the uh, fit the best picture standard. I think you're kind of right. I agree with both of you that, like, I kind of, as much as I like this movie and I do like this movie, I'm not sure it is best picture caliber. And uh, I, I wonder if it was kind of like the result of a moment um, not it, it made an awful lot of money, which I think helps its best picture chances. It helps Oscar chances by being a bit of a cultural phenomenon to to a certain extent. But I also think that like Napoleon Dynamite three years before this was a big cultural phenomenon relative to its budget, which was another Fox Searchlight movie like this. 
Uh, Sideways hit big for Fox Searchlight. Little Miss Sunshine hit big for Fox, Fox Searchlight. And like this kind of like small budget, quirky indie Fox Searchlight movie kind of culminated with Juno with the things. Yeah, this is the first. I believe this is the first search Fox Searchlight film to gross more than a hundred million at the domestic box office. I, I I buy that, yeah. And I just looked up that Sideways was nominated for Best Picture. Little Miss Sunshine, I believe, was also nominated for Best Picture, and actually won Best Original Screenplay the year before this. So, um, but this this Juno felt like a bigger deal to me than than any of the previously mentioned movies. But it was like a an upward progression where like Napoleon Dynamite basically made good money at the box office, made a shit ton of money in DVD sales, didn't get any awards attention, and then Sideways got a considerable amount of awards attention. Little Miss Sunshine got even more awards attention, won Best Original Screenplay, and then Juno is like the culmination of like the Fox Searchlight mid, mid to late 2000s like indie, quirky, indie soundtrack kind of thing. So that's that's track to you guys? So I'm wondering how much of this is is impacted by the the conversation around this film. At the time, this film hit the zeitgeist rather loudly because of the content. This is one of four films this year dealing with unplanned pregnancy between Knocked Up, This, Waitress, and Four Months, Three Weeks, Two Days, which obviously did not hit as well in the U.S. Really different movie. Very different movie than those <laughs> really other three. Really different movie. Very different movie. <laughs> but this is a subject matter that audiences were seeing, you know, both cinephiles in, in obviously the artistic, the, the, the indie cinema with Four Months, Three Weeks. But also, in the, you got Juno and Knocked Up. Waitress is not as is not as as, as as laugh out loud a comedy. Obviously, it's kind of it's more dramatic. But there is this kind of tension with, uh, particularly when you introduce for four months into the conversation, a lot of people at the time were arguing that Juno was pro life, or that it was like anti pro choice. And that was that's at dumb. the time that's a really dumb argument. At the time, though, that was very much a part of the conversation, and you could not get away from it because of all of these films coming out at the same time, and the fact "knocked up" doesn't have, neither "knocked up" nor Juno ever uses the word abortion, never actually uses the, uh, the term. "knocked up" uses the word "smushmortion." Yeah, I was going to say and the word "smushmortion." Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> that's the exact same word. It hits the same level. Whereas, and I, I say this, I just rewatched four months because I couldn't. I Watching Juno and having watched Knocked Up somewhat recently, I kind of was like, I, I want to revisit four months. It is stark how you've got these American films that are kind of actively avoiding the subject entirely, even when they're not. And I agree with you. This is not a pro-life film. It's not doing that. In Knocked Up and in Juno, the concept of abortion is brought up. And in both movies, the woman makes a decision. No, I'm not gonna have an abortion. So it's not like it's not brought up. It's not like they're not making a choice. So to call this anti to call this not pro choice is dumb. It's not seriously addressed, though. I get where the criticism comes in. If you goes to an abortion clinic in this movie. Yes. And then she and runs away because she hears through. about the nails. I, I, I can get where those who and that's her choice. That's her choice. It, yeah, I think there is a way to read this not as anti-choice, but as pro-life. Because the way that she makes her decision is like, uh, oh, it's not just a collection of cells. It's a baby. It's got nails. It, you know, I think there's a way. I don't think this is like a, you know, get, get the churchgoers in the bus and go and watch Juno and like, praise be to Kirk Cameron type of movie. But... I think there's a way to read this perhaps unintentionally as uh, 
it's a baby sort of thing, you know? And okay, my, fine. my point, well, and Cody pushed, both Cody and Reitman pushed, pushed back on that criticism. Now, in their defense, I don't think, I think TJ's right. It's unintentional. But that, that play, the fact that she goes in and immediately, once we cut to the next scene, part of her reasoning, like she, she, did you know it has nails? Like, or it has, it, like she, that is clearly on her mind when she decides that she, she's not going to have an abortion she's just going to go through with the pregnancy i can see where the criticism comes in and it it's kind of hard not to at least contemplate that knocked up they don't seriously address the topic at all then again it's not about what it. do you accept yeah and her mom comes out the villain because her mom's suggesting her mom's not you're not supposed to agree with her mom you're supposed to agree with seth rogan's dad who's all excited about the idea and her mom's like well you should put your career first and think about your career so you should go ahead well, no, no, and no. take care no, of no. it she's not the villain because she said take care of it she's the villain because she said in a few years you'll have a real baby that was the phrase she used that confirmed her villain status and it's it's a it's a shitty attitude yes, towards but, her daughter but that's just it pregnancy. they're connecting that that kind of person with the approach like you should actively consider right now in your career this you know abortion might be a serious uh, option that you need to actually consider and in the film they don't seriously consider it it's 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 mentioned it's referenced it's referenced not actually stated reference in passing and my point being this film exists at a time when the conversation is very much about that and not for nothing, it's a conversation that's obviously still continued. We're now in 2022, and it's more of an issue than ever. And looking back on it, it's hard to watch movies in a given time period without having these thoughts come up in your head. And in the scene in this film, when she visits the she visits the clinic, the Smushmortion Clinic. Yes, it and the same thing in Knocked Up when he uses that phrase. It doesn't. I'm just saying. Say it. it. Does not say it, Ken. Say it, Ken. Schmushmorshen. Nice. It doesn't nice. sit well. <laughs> post stops. It just. It kind of comes off as feeling kind of. Wow. We can't even address. In 2007, we couldn't even mention the word and go there. But yet, we've already talked about this for longer than I want to talk about this. Can we? Can we? I get that. I get you're making a point about the zeitgeist and why this film was a big deal. I get that. But can we? Well, I, I guess what I'm saying is get get off this topic. From an American audience standpoint, that's what brought this film, I think, a bit more attention. How it ends up in Best Picture, when on the flip side, you've got another unplanned pregnancy film like Four Months, Three Weeks, foreign film, totally ignored despite winning the Palme d'Or at Cannes this year. It also didn't make $240 million at the box office. True. You know? But again, and it doesn't have a scene where the guy's like, do you want me to undoodle your whatever home skillet? No one calls, <laughs> no one calls her fertile myrtle. Yeah. And no one says that uh, her ego is prego <laughs> in four months, we three need weeks, more two days. And that's what I think that movie's missing. Um, yeah. uh, but to, to go from that to a question Josh frequently asks, um, I don't think this would be nominated today. Although, like, Coda just won. I don't think it would be and either. No. Yeah, I don't think so so. That they're kind of picking movies that, like, they go with their heart more. I don't I, I don't think it would be nominated today because I don't think the, like I said, the aesthetic has aged as well. And not not to revisit, but Ken's point, um, I, I don't think it would uh, jibe totally with the politics of the Academy, um, whether that's its intention or not. But, yeah, I don't think it would be nominated. Maybe a screenplay nomination. Yeah. I'm not sure it would be either, honestly. 
Like that, that's what I was trying to say about like the context of 20th century, 20, um, sorry, uh, Fox Searchlight in like the mid two thousands. Like it was a, it was a culmination of sorts and that's part of why, and, and also like it made a ton of money and that's why I think it got into best picture. And also because Diablo Cody's story, that's also helped it get into best picture. Um, but I don't think, I don't think those factors, you know, in a vacuum, if you remove those factors and just this movie just came out whole cloth today, I don't think it'd be nominated for best picture. And I don't think it'd be making this much money. I think it would make like, it'd be, it'd be just stoked if it made 20 million at the box office, let alone 240. Uh, I think this would be a Netflix film. Yeah, yeah. I could see it. Yeah. And there, I mean, there are good Netflix films, marriage story, right? But this just seems like, yeah, I, I don't think this would the get, Irishman. A, I don't think this would get a theatrical release. Uh, you're probably right, which it would just add. That's a sad state of affairs, but you're probably correct about that. Now, if Juno then actually turned into the superhero from the comic book that Mark had, <laughs> it would have gotten the release. Um, well, now you're just being cynical. And like, I was waiting for the post credit scene where she became an Avenger, and it doesn't happen. Uh, any final thoughts on Juno before we close her out? I think I like it. I don't like it as much as I did when I was 17, but I think it's good. A little overwritten, like TJ said, but... Um, most of it works on me. I think Elliot Page is excellent. Uh, I don't like it. I like it a lot more than, or I dislike it less than I used to. Um, it no longer infuriates me. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it's very good. Sure. I was this time able to see um, things in it that I think are well done that I was previously uh, blind to from the, the, the fires of rage that are burning, heaving on the side of my face. Uh, that's a clue reference. <laughs> Madeline Kahn. Um, I... Uh... I like this film less than I did. There are still enough moments in it, though, that it's it's an enjoyable enough watch. Um, I can I can sit and watch it, and I I don't feel like I'm wasting my time, even though I think its weaknesses and flaws are more glaring and more obvious to me now than they were in 2008. Well, there you have it. There you have it. So that's Juno. That closed out episode two of the 2007 series, and that means next week. Going alphabetically, that means we're moving on to the aforementioned Michael Clayton, which is a movie I am extremely fond of. It's like lawyer porn. Extremely excited to talk about Lawyer porn for Ken. Yeah, bring on the clue. Yeah, Ken Dussold, the resident resident lawyer on the podcast. Uh, I believe your your life is pretty much Michael Clayton oh, every day. Oh, exactly. Right? Exactly like Michael Clayton's. In between. You go walk around the city with a big bag full of baguettes. That's that's your job every I day. Have, like, I, uh, I can't tell you the number of cars I've had to replace due to uh, fire-related or, or incendiary um, mm. accidents. Yes. Yeah. Are you a fixer? Are you the, are you the janitor at your firm? I can neither confirm nor deny. Uh, so thank you for listening and uh, please join us again next week for Michael Clayton it's going to be a good one see you then farewell see you later see you later